Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 130 of Bat Flips and Maple Dips. It's me, it's Patrick, here in Halifax, Nova Scotia, living large, uh, but not quite in charge. Meanwhile, <laughs> at West in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's the professor, Justin Anderson. Justin, how was your weekend? Weekend was great. You know, we, we've got, we, we finally got our our high teen weather here in Saskatoon. So I took advantage. Yeah. I got outside on Friday, got outside on Sunday, walked to uh, walked to Dairy Queen last night, met up with uh, Taryn's uh, mom and dad and her two brothers to get a little Mother's Day blizzard with Taryn's mom. So nice. that was a nice little uh, outside get together. And yeah, it's it was it was a great weekend. How about yourself? It was pretty chill, man. It was pretty chill. I watched uh, I watched a bunch of movies on the weekend. I just didn't feel like doing anything, so I, I was just chilling on my uh, on my recliner, watching the a couple of most of the Jays games. Uh, I would say I'm on <laughs> Yesterday was a adventure. I yeah, I had to I walk might've... away. <laughs> yeah, I walked away from that one for sure, uh, and I didn't come back even when when they they brought it closer i was just i was just tired yeah i i, I, I came back week. i i couldn't stay away um i took i, I, I took, <laughs> I, took a, I took a quick like 3k walk and then yeah and then came back and they had scored four runs so i was like you know it's seven to four yeah i i would be doing myself a disservice if i missed an epic comeback and yeah there was no <laughs> epic comeback <laughs> uh no word to lie, though. The Houston Astros are still a great team. Oh, their offense is elite. Yeah. Yeah, like, we don't have to like them. They're still, like, we, we were going in as massive underdogs. And oh. the fact that we, we got one is enough to, you know, to keep me invested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, I mean, this is right where I expected us to be. And remember that teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, and even I think the Rays have already had a ton of games against the Orioles and the Tigers, and we've had zero. Keep in mind, we've had the fewest home games in the big leagues so far, too. That's right. And uh, not to brag or anything like that, but uh, we're 7-4 and four against the AL East so far. Yeah. So, you know. Suck and, it, uh, and I mean, and according to teamrankings.com, we've had the second most difficult schedule. Who's had the uh, hardest, the Padres? So far, the Washington Nationals have actually had the hardest. The uh, hmm. the Padres, where are they on this list? They got to be they got to be up there on that list, but before we get into baseball talk, we had this yeah. conversation. This is I find this interesting. So, Justin and I had this conversation about uh academy award nominated movies uh and just like good in general like good really good movies that come out the last five years right so i told him i hadn't watched the revenant so that was my uh task for the weekend was to watch the revenant while i told him to watch spotlight so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna compare notes and everything and then we did our if, homework yeah <laughs> And uh, if we don't like what the other one says, we're just gonna we're just gonna have it out uh, <laughs> right here <laughs> live. No, uh, I'll go first, though, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I thought the Revenant was okay. Normally, I don't like movies, you know, that take place anywhere between the American Revolution and the Civil War. There, that whole period doesn't interest me very much. 
probably because I studied a lot of Canadian history in that time period. And it right. just, I knew, I know what goes on. So I was kind of like, eh, not really that invested. Uh, the acting in that movie was 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, they do such a masterful job of preparing you to hate Tom Hardy's <laughs> character. Right. Uh, by the end of the movie, you can't wait to see this guy get his due. Um, and Leo obviously was tremendous. Right. Yeah. Uh, there was this, the whole like side sequence thing where like he gets in the, in the thing with the rocks and the steam and all that. Like, I was like, all right. Some of it was kind of, and like him like crawling up to the dude with the, uh, with the buffalo and then him eating like the liver, I guess. Yeah. Is that what, yeah. I was like, all right, this is a little silly. Uh, I love the part though with the horse. Uh, yeah. when he sleeps inside of the horse, I was like, that is awful. This is one of the darkest movies I've ever seen. Masterfully shot, masterfully acted. I thought the script and the plot was super dull. Like it just dragged. There wasn't enough uh, man man v man conflict sure. to keep me invested. Like the man v nature part was kind of that was like I think the best part of the movie. Yeah. So I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Um, it would be higher if I don't I don't know how to explain this. It would have been better to me if it was about a half an hour shorter because it comes in at two hours and 36 minutes. It's a long movie, yeah. That's a long movie. And even a movie like Avengers Endgame, which has a ton of action all the time, a long movie like that, like, you gotta... It's it's gotta be wall to wall. (laughs) There's gotta... Yeah, it's gotta be that or there's gotta be an intermission or something or get like there's got to be like an action beat to break up the monotony of like traveling throughout the dakotas i think the i got two things i want to cut in with and i'll let you keep going yeah no no no. i've never i've only ever seen the revenant in a theater okay in on like a big like ultra avx screen so i i've never watched it on a tv so at home so i can't I, i don't really know what it looks like on it not on a big screen and just for me, like the whole, like man v nature and how long it took it, it to me, that's like, like that showed how far he was willing to go to get his revenge. Right. That's, that's that was kind point. of the whole yeah. point of that. Like the movie's called the Revenant, yeah. which I believe like means like quest for revenge or something, if I remember correctly. Um, and yeah, he was willing to go like to the ends of the earth <laughs> to find Tom Hardy <laughs> and end yeah. him. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that before. That might yeah. change my score a little bit, actually, just thinking about it. The- I know, like, what I loved is, now that now that you've brought it up, is the fact that, like, by the end of it, he's pretty explicit about not caring whether or not he lives or dies. Oh, yeah. He wants his shot at revenge. Oh, yeah. Succeed or fail. So, like, him getting that opportunity, or him creating the opportunity, rather, that makes, that makes a difference as far as like how I perceive the movie. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll bump it up to like an eight. Okay. Is that um, fair? That's, that's totally fair. And the only other thing that I was going to say was, um, yeah, I, I do agree with you. Like I thought the, the whole scene with like the horse and like the, the, the chase scene when he's riding on horseback too, and all like, the arrows are flying at him. Like that's some of the cinematography in that movie. It, it's, it's one of the best like landscape cinematography movies that I, that I can think of. And like, I've watched a lot of like 
those type of movies that are like have long like nature shots um, yeah big battle yeah. scenes that kind of thing but this is just like it was like one man just getting absolutely like chased <laughs> it's the pretty bear cool. scene was amazing yeah very well uh, done. the opening scene where the fight between the, the fur traders or the hunters whatever and the first nations yeah was it was unbelievable yeah, what a, what a way to open a movie hey <laughs> I was I was terrified. I expected the whole movie to have that same sense of urgency the whole time, kind of like what nineteen seventeen was. Right. Until he yeah. meets up with like the girl and the baby. Yeah. Like it was just like balls to the wall, uh, like scary, intense action. But it ended up being something different. And a lot of the shots, these like wide vistas, mm-hmm. uh, they it reminds me a lot of like John Ford movies from the forties and fifties, like. Um, like John Wayne films, okay. like older, older, not spaghetti westerns, but westerns like before that, pre, yeah, pre like Kurosawa and Leone influenced like westerns with these wide vistas, and they're like traveling on a mission, and it's like they don't care whether they live or die. It's they got a they're like the searchers, where it's like they're trying to right. find the girl. Oh man, yeah. Now that I say that, now that we've talked about it, now I feel like I've talked myself into a better. <laughs> perspective on the movie so good job uh cool yeah well spotlight yeah uh two different two completely different movies right uh, like a a movie that's not re- not based on a true story or actual events in the revenant and then a movie like spotlight that is 100 percent based on a very real thing that happened and it's still happening frankly um for me like i I know all about the indiscretions of the Catholic church as a, as a kid who was brought up in, in Catholic school systems and then basically renounced religion after I left. <laughs> so I've, I've got my qualms of the Catholic church to begin with, let's say, but I won't get into religion on this, in this podcast, but in terms of the Fair. movie, like I, I enjoyed it. Like I, I love these kind of movies. Like I just finished watching um, the newsroom, the HBO series. Like oh few, yeah. The Aaron like Sorkin. Ago. Uh, yeah. The Aaron Sorkin yeah. with like, um, yeah. Yeah, with a bunch like the whole cast is incredible. In that. Jeff Daniels, Jeff Daniels, Olivia yeah. Munn, yeah, just a bunch of great, uh, great folks in that movie or in that show. Which I wish I would have went would have went longer, but I, I love things like that are like based on true things. You you know what's gonna happen, but like how they get there is is really cool. The whole story and like how they thought it was like a handful of priests and it turns out to be like ninety um, in Boston alone, which is absolutely insane. But yeah, like for me, I, I, I thought the movie was great. It had like, um, and the way they pause, like when 9-11 happens, like they really like put their whole investigation like on the shelf. And it's just like very real. Like it's not something you can just battle through. 9-11 was a very real and and, and incredible event that happened in the United States. And obviously yeah. high alert and every news coverage had to be dedicated to that for months on end so that that was a really a really cool piece that that was kind of tied in there as well um i thought the acting was awesome I, i'm a huge fan uh, of, of john slattery i think he's great um so anytime i can see him and obviously his character wasn't a huge part of the movie but then michael keaton is is a master everything he's in is he's always such a good a good performer like whether he's playing like the villain in, in spider-man or uh, a news a news lead in in in, uh, in spotlight he just does everything so well and then obviously you have mark ruffalo who 
thought his Boston accent was really good. He did a good job with that. that yeah, nice. I know. His, his portrayal of Mark uh, Resendez was was terrific. Yeah. 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 And of course, uh, Rachel McAdams, uh, Canadian. you got to give Rachel props anytime you can. That's right. She was great in that. It, what was kind of cool, too, was like um, you kind of because there are other components of the Boston Globe at that time that were like yeah. pretty prominent, like like Steve Kershikan is in the movie like the not actually Steve Kershikan, but someone plays Steve Kershikan Play, is yeah. kinda cool. And then like uh same with like uh Cardinal Law is uh yeah. portrayed in the movie. Uh and then obviously Marty Baron mm-hmm. uh who <clears throat> Was, I was uh, like, I was fully expecting at the beginning, like when he comes as the new editor, I thought, I thought he was just going to ax their whole department, but he didn't. So that was a cool. Yeah. It's, he's had a, he, you could probably do a whole movie on Marty Baron alone. He was, he was the editor of the Washington post, uh, from basically new year's Eve, 2012 until he retired like a couple months ago. Yeah. And okay. then before that, he was the editor of Boston globe. Right. And like before he that, wasn't pretty... he? They said he was in like Miami or something. Or yeah, something. yeah. He, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he was. He's like, a newsman through and through. Yeah. It, it was. It's a pretty terrific movie that I bet has done better outside of uh, the theater. It's got Unlike, shelf life. Like, it's, it's, it's it pretty does, much got yeah. unlimited shelf life because of the fact that it's based on such a big and, and real, a real event that happened. Like, it's going to have unlimited, unlimited replay value, really. There's really nothing in it that that ages because it's based upon a, a real time period that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say like, what's interesting too, is how different these two movies are that we decided we were going to take on. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Both of them are, are easily top five, top 10 movies of their year. Um, and then of course, uh, well, I obviously moved... spotlight one best picture. Yeah, it did. And, and um, Leo got his Oscar for the Revenant. So <laughs> it's like, very yeah, very uh we should do this again uh i don't know when we're gonna do when we'll do it again but we should do this again when we pick like we just take like wild shots like that and see what we'll see what we uh <laughs> see what we come up with yeah uh i i think like i i was gonna give spotlight an eight out of ten as well and i don't think that that's changed um based on it drags on the conversation it, it did a little bit uh it does I, I made it a point to like put my phone far away so I wouldn't be tempted if there was a, a dull spot. Yeah, to, like you start looking up. That's what happened to me the second time I watched it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those nearby. movies that I think I'll never, I'll probably never watch again. I don't think just, you need to. It's not like a, yeah, it's it's not it, it doesn't have replay value really. <laughs> it it's not it's not stylized like a movie like The Big Short, which is the same type of like semi-biographical drama or like the wolf on wall street even yeah, wolf of wall street i've only ever watched that once those those two movies the other two not spotlight the, the, they're Big very stock they're very yeah. stylized yeah yeah 100 there's some but... yeah there's something very like unique about them all spotlight is very much so like it's carried by the drama and the suspense of like how when, how are, when gonna, are we gonna find how are they out, gonna like, nail these guys right <laughs> yeah like who's responsible of it yeah and just the the whole like the twist at the end of spotlight kind of blew me away where uh michael keaton's character realizes that he was actually sent a list of 20 of these priests yeah 
10 like years beforehand years or something like that. Yeah, uh, uh, I want like, to Stanley Tucci was great as uh, Mitchell uh, Garabedian. Mitch Garabedian. He was awesome. Yeah. Like, I loved his character too. I got, I, I've, I've got to point that out before, but he was awesome. Stanley Tucci is like one of the ghost character actors. Yeah, he's it's so like, I tremendous. Always, I always forget about him, but like everything that he's in, like he's always super noticeable, but he just gets kind of forgotten because he's never like the first guy on the. Um, yeah. Like even, even obviously he was Doctor Erskine in Captain America. I clued into that right away, and like he was great. Oh my god! Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was Doctor Erskine. I wasn't Erskine even thinking of that. I was because Taryn, like... Taryn and I have just started watching, like rewatching all the Marvel events. Like we've watched yeah. all of Phase One, and we just finished watching Thor: The Dark World uh, on Saturday night. So we're like we're watching Iron Man three next. But yeah, so we like we had just watched the first phase. So watching Captain America and seeing. Dr. Erskine is like, and so, so, so as soon as I started watching Spotlight, I was like, oh, that's that's Dr. Erskine. That's Stanley Tucci. So that's kind of cool. If you're into Stanley Tucci, you should check out Road to Perdition, uh, but also um, The Lovely Bones. He, I think he got a nomination for that one, The Lovely Bones. It's a pretty good movie. It's, it's about 13 years old. It's about this girl who gets murdered by this creep played by Stanley mm. Tucci and he like hides her body and the she's like in the afterlife. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. It's, it's right. worth checking. It's worth checking out if you like, if you're into Stanley Tucci, but if you're into <laughs> baseball, which is what we actually talk about on this podcast, you're probably you wondering why we're out. not talking about baseball. I know there's so much to talk about this week <laughs> and we'll get to the big news uh, in a second. But if you like baseball, Check us out on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. Check us out also uh, BFMDpodcast.com. Content TBD. Uh, we're on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, TuneIn, and I'm sure there's a whole lot more I'm not thinking about. Shout out to the New Hampshire Fisher Cats because yeah. I don't know. The minor league season has begun. We're going to talk about them today. We're going to talk about how the Jays did in Houston. We're going to talk about what's to come as they head to Atlanta. Uh, but most importantly, Justin, man, we have done 130 <laughs> episodes. Yeah. And we're about to do something that we've never done before on this podcast. And that is interview an actual Toronto Blue Jay. When I woke up this morning, <laughs> I took a deep breath and I said, here, here we go. Here comes the cold water. <laughs> <laughs> Palms are sweaty. I'm excited, man. Um, do you want to tee it up for those sure. listening? Yeah. So as Patrick is saying, after 130 episodes, we are going to be interviewing our, our first Toronto Blue Jay today. Um, the Blue Jay that we're interviewing is relatively new to the team. It was, came over last year. And uh, he's also a big podcaster. So if we haven't already given it away, um, the person we're going to be interviewing today is uh, starting pitcher Ross Stripling. Um, Strip was kind enough to respond to a, a tweet by Patrick. Uh, he sent him a DM, slid into Patrick's DMs and said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Uh, we, we arranged some dates and we settled on today because the Blue Jays are obviously, uh, they traveled from Houston to Atlanta. So he's... I just chilling in his hotel room, I bet. We'll catch him before he goes out for supper time, I'd imagine, with some of the teammates, perhaps. And then, uh, yeah, we'll 
we'll talk to him about his career, where he started, where he is now, the podcasts, um, talk to him a little bit about what's coming from for, for the rest of the season, how he's feeling, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. So after the break here, we'll have our conversation with Blue Jays pitcher, Ross Stripling. Hello again, friends. Uh, we're back with our guest, uh, and man, <laughs> since we started this podcast back in July 2018, it has always been our goal to reach out to people in the baseball community, uh, try to find guests uh, who could come come in, uh, give us uh, you know their unique experience when it comes to baseball. Uh, and today, we are super super grateful. We are joined by an actual member of the Toronto Blue Jays who also happens to be a fellow podcaster. Uh, you might know him from his time uh, at Texas A&M, where he threw a no-hitter back in 2012. Um, you may know him from his time with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, back in 2016 was when he made his debut. Uh, and then he joined the Jays last year in 2020. He is the host of the On The Bump podcast, as well as the Big Swing podcast, which is available on all your podcasts and music outlets. It's number 48, Ross Stripling. Ross, welcome to the show. Guys, what's up? Thanks for having me. I, uh, As you mentioned, I do the podcast, and I understand the grind of getting a guest, and <laughs> I'm not sure which one of y'all two it was that reached out on Twitter. And, um, you know, as a guy that's had to slide in the DMs of other athletes and people to try and get guests on my podcast, every now and then I'll respond to those. And, and uh, lo and behold, a few weeks later, here I am on your show, man. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was Patrick who reached out. Uh, <laughs> you got to roll is, the dice is, sometimes. This, yeah, this is Justin talking now. So uh, I, I actually, I manage our, our main podcast Twitter account. So uh, props to Patrick for doing the uh the grunt work and the outreach and <laughs> we, we, we're, we feel very appreciative that you took the time to, to respond to us. So I'm grateful for your time, but uh, we want to jump right into it. I know obviously we, we, we want to get into some, some talk about the blue Jays, about the podcasts. Um, obviously you came to the Jays last year at the deadline and we've, we've all read the story of how like the deadline was like pretty much passed. Like you hadn't been moved yet. And then you were kind of just blindsided when the, the, de the deal came across, but um, you joined a young team, a super young team in the Blue Jays. Uh, they had obviously coming off of like a, a few years of mediocre baseball, coming through a rebuild, but we're in playoff contention when you came over. Now, obviously, when when you were with the Dodgers and you came up through the system, the Dodgers do such a great job of developing young young talent. Like, did you notice like uh, some similarities between the development of the core that the Dodgers had in place when you were there? Uh, compared to the team that the Jays have now? Well, it's a great question, you know, and I actually get asked that question all the time by Blue Jays media, by Blue Jays players, coaches, you know, even guys just coming up saying, like, you know, what do the Dodgers do that we don't? <laughs> what do they have that we don't? And, and really the answer is, is nothing. I mean, it is very similar. A lot of people think the Dodgers, um, you know, with the payroll that they have and being a big market team, that they're going out and just picking the biggest free agents. And when you look at that World Series roster, that is not the case. Mm -hmm. There's tons of homegrown talent across that whole roster. Bueller, Kershaw, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger. And then the guys that go pick from other organizations that have struggled, Justin Turner, Max Muncy. You know, the Dodgers are, are very good at that, at developing talent and finding talent and making them into guys that help at the big league level. And then I get over here, and like you said, I'm thinking it's just going to be this young team, guys that are just getting their feet wet in the big leagues. And all it does is feel like the Dodgers from five years ago. 
right? right? Where you got this awesome core of, you know, Vladdy and Cavan and Bo and Guriel and, and some major prospects like Nate Pearson and really good bullpen arms. And you can tell this window has now started where we have a chance to, to win. And that's where you go get guys like Hunjin Roo and George Springer and Marcus Simeon and Kirby Yates and, and Chatwood and these free agents. And now we go make a run and we try to win a lot of baseball games. And it's just, you know, I've been very lucky. I made the postseason every year of my big league career and, um, you know, expect to make it again this year and, and to be on a team that is going to um, win a lot of baseball games and, and be in the hunt. And I'm just very lucky to be that. And, and you know, long-winded way to – to answer your question to say that yeah the blue jays feel like the dodgers feel like the astros who kind of did it the same way right. too you know yeah. so that's that's it feels like we're in like kind of the first year maybe the second year of what could be a really fun like seven-year window oh i love that seven-year window blue jay fans have been waiting for for something like this for, <laughs> yeah. for a long time uh i was born in 93 the year the jays last won the world series i was like six months old so for me <laughs> the playoff years of 2015 and 16 were like my pinnacle of blue jays baseball outside of like 2003 when, when doc won the cy young so that was kind of like the the three good years for me so seeing you guys the way the team is built now it's definitely exciting for somebody like myself anyway yeah and you know one thing the dodgers do have that the jays don't is uh they got a guy named uh, sandy koufax who uh, <laughs> you mentioned on your podcast wanders through uh the clubhouse from time to time uh, i love that episode with you and kershaw um, in fact, I listened to every single one of the episodes today uh, in anticipation because uh, I couldn't help myself. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you had a good day. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I <laughs> love. I'm a huge Bob Gibson fan, even though uh, he retired like ten years or something like that before I was even born. Uh, just reading up about him and his like ferocity. I found that so fascinating, and I grew up idolizing the uh, Atlanta Braves rotation. So the John Smoltz episode that you did with uh, Jameson uh, Talian was pretty terrific, too. Uh, On the Bump is one of those rare podcasts that you get run by an actual player talking about, you know, MLB, active players, retired players, legends. Uh, and quite frankly, you're killing it in the podcast game right now with On the Bump uh, and the Big Swing. Uh, but how did On the Bump get started, and where do you see it going? Great question. Uh, you know, so On the Bump started with Jam Street Media, which is where my Big Swing podcast, the network that it's on, and the head of that network kind of realized that that you know history podcasts are in and sports podcasts are always in, and we have a big leaguer on tap with the network of guests that he's already had on the big swing, his teammates, former teammates, all that. And there's just nothing like that out there in the podcast world. So let's try and take advantage of that avenue. And um, we just kind of ran with it. What's great about those is they're evergreen, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. they yeah. will be as relevant as the day we put it out as it will be in theoretically in 10 years, you know? And, um, and I could record them all in the off season, which was great. You know, the big swing is tough because it's a weekly endeavor for me. You know, I got to find an hour a week when I'm traveling and now I have a newborn son and like all this stuff like that, that can be hard, but versus the, on the bump podcast, I could get with my uh, guests in the off season, record those. And then, you know, we sat on them for a few months and have now obviously started to put them out and man, they were so fun to record. It's just Baseball's changed so much, but pitching is pitching. And to go back and, and talk about the workload that some of those guys had and, <laughs> and the eras that they pitched in and to be able to talk to 
you know, some of my best, like Michael Walker on the Bob Gibson episode, Michael Walker was my college roommate, one of my best friends in the world. And we just oh, wow. basically cool. got to BS yeah. about one of the best pitchers in, of all time in our game for a half hour. And it was a blast. So um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed listening to it because they were really fun to record. And, um, you know, as far as where it can go, I'm not sure. I don't know if we would do another season and maybe focus on hitters. If we do another season on pitching, I even know that the, the head of our network even thinks it could branch into other sports, right? Where you could do like best three-point shooters or quarterbacks or whatever. So it, it has avenues and, and verticals that it could it could do for sure. Uh, but as far as my kind of, I guess, my uh, position on the podcast moving forward, I actually don't know. So we'll see. It's kind of interesting uh, that it's about pitching too because there's so many different avenues you could – you could take it. You could even do like one-off episodes about like we talked about before we started recording, like the best hitting <laughs> uh, pitchers, which I thought it was a fascinating topic, uh, or like best uh, best like sidearm or best submarine delivery, or like you could do like a million different things with pitching, and the sky's really best, the limit. Best nineteen eighties facial hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The best mustaches. Um, the one question I couldn't help but. Uh, stick in in there for this uh, interview was is there any hope for a knuckleball episode <laughs> there's always for sure right it's just the thing is there's no modern knuckleball pitcher right you know I, I know I tried so hard to comp my guest to a player from the past right you think of a Kershaw to Sandy Koufax I mean they comp almost to a T yeah you know there's not a knuckleball pitcher in the big leagues right now that I can call on and be like hey let's talk you know Necro or Tim Wakefield or what you know so I got I need someone to start throwing some knuckleballs here this season so I can <laughs> get them on the podcast <laughs> maybe get one of the young guys on the on the club to uh <laughs> to adapt one maybe yeah bite the bullet just for the podcast purposes <laughs> exactly well then well then we can finally get a full episode about Necro uh or I don't know I'm kind of partial I'd love it I'd love an R.A. Dickey episode yeah. myself I mean he was big with Toronto uh, for for four or five years when we we made the big trade back in 2013, but uh, there's there's been a couple of fascinating documentaries about the knuckleball. Uh, you can find them all on on Netflix. Not that I'm plugging for them, but I, <laughs> I, I saw those and I'm just fascinated by the idea of this pitch that it it's like controlled chaos. <laughs> it's just yeah, fascinating. It's, I've played. There's some guys that can throw them. For instance, on our team, AJ Cole, he's in our bullpen. He could throw a knuckleball. And nobody will play catch with him because he'll just kind of he'll just he'll throw just it at you, you at any moment, and you you genuinely feel unsafe. Like you feel like it's just oh, going to hit you in the thigh or in the chin, and you're like, dude, stop throwing me that stinking knuckleball. And uh, <laughs> we tell him all the time, man, throw it, like mix it in. It's nasty. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you, man. It controlled chaos is a good way to put it. I know. Uh, I I umpire baseball here here locally in Western Canada, and uh, one of my colleagues, he. He always throws knuckleballs back to the pitcher, and there's a there's like a ball to play. He'll just just to mess with the guy. It's super funny just to watch the pitcher just like whiff, and the ball just goes way past them or whatever. It's pretty it's yeah. pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you take the podcast and start talking about hitters, you got some guys on your team like you could do a Dante Bichette with Bo. You could talk about Craig Biggio with Cavan. Like you got some guys around you who could talk about their dads, which is pretty right. cool. Right. Well, yeah. How lucky is that to have yeah. that network around me? The thing is, dude, I don't know anything about hitting. So they yeah. have to find, even, even with my, I don't know how many at bats in the big leagues, uh, they'd have to, you know, we'd have to find a new host for that season. Cause I'd be, I'd be in over my head. Uh, you've, you've got uh, 97 plate appearances. I have it open on fan graphs right oh, now. Actually, need to get to a hundred on Thursday. 
yeah, that's I was, I was going to ask you that. I wanted to talk about that. It's a perfect segue. Thank you for that. Um, let's talk about this season. You've obviously had four starts so far. You've spent some time on the injured list. Um, and you're going to be facing Atlanta for the second time in the last couple of weeks even. Uh, what can you tell us about them? How are you going to attack that team this time around? Good question. You know, it's, it's um, facing the same team now in three starts, right? So I'll still be pretty fresh on their mind, even though they p- technically have played, what, 9, 10, 11 games between mm-hmm. C and me, you know, but they'll have an idea of what I've done. They can go watch that video, still be pretty fresh for, um, you know, what they're thinking. So it's, it's, that's the chess match of pitching. I mean, do I come at them with what got them out the first time or do I throw a new wrinkle in there? Um, you know, so that'll kind of be uh, feel it out as we go, you know, and, and uh, I don't know how many Atlanta Braves players listen to this podcast, so I can't give away too many. <laughs> but, you know, that, hopefully that lots. The, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> but that, that's, that is pitching to a T, you know, it really is. And, and you mm-hmm. think about maybe a reliever that pitches the first game of a series and then the last game of a series and maybe faces the same piece of the order, um, you know, that, that is exactly what pitching is. So obviously really talented team, um, you know, first three hitters, you got to run through Acuna who might win 10 MVPs in his career. The last yeah. MVP last year is Freddie Freeman and then Marcelo Zuna who can hit it out of the stadium at any moment. So, um, you know, you get a huge test right off the bat with those three in their home stadium. Apparently it's going to be a full house, full capacity. Which I hear that. Cool. And the Astros was basically that, you know, so pretty fun road trip for that stand standpoint. Um, but, yeah, we'll see, man. I, you know, I feel like I'm throwing the ball really well. I'm close to getting good results, just haven't quite gotten it so far. You know, it's been frustrating, but I feel like I, the Astros are always fa- tough to face in Houston oh, no matter what. But yeah. I did face – I faced the Braves before that and felt like I pitched well. So, um, you know, going to go out there, confident, attack them, and, and hope for some good results. But, you know, it's it's definitely – feels like things are coming around for me just not quite there yet are you looking forward to hitting again you know what man i wish i could say yes but i hate hitting <laughs> I, 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 i'm very much like pro dh um you know nobody puts you know buys a ticket to come watch me hit and <laughs> and it just it, i don't like bunning it's it's scary it's not fun i'm not good at it you know it's it just uh hitting is not for me dude I, I got hit for in high school i didn't even hit in high school you know oh, man. so it's just not my forte. I'd, I'd much <laughs> rather be sitting on, on wood over in the dugout watching my teammates hit than, than putting on batting gloves and walking out there. That's that's totally fair. If it were if it were me, I'd drop a bunt. I don't yeah. I don't know why bunt the bunt is like dying for some reason. Even though uh, we did see Kevin uh, bunt against the shift, and I was I was screaming at my TV. I was so excited uh, to finally see a uh, a big league player bunt against the shift it well, was man, terrific I'm with you. we were just in oakland and we were facing olsen we did the four outfielders and totally shifted the rest of the infield to the right side and think about the stats of two strikes how hard it is to get a hit with two strikes you almost might as well just lay down a bunt even with yeah. two strikes but I, I'm, I agree man it's it we had guys in la yasmani grandal adrian gonzalez and then forward into like jock peterson guys that would get shifted like crazy and they would sit there and practice the bunt against the shift every day, and then they wouldn't do it in the game. And you're like, man, just take the knock. And that's just the that's the game we live in now. Like, even as a pitcher, if I'm facing those three guys that I mentioned, I'd rather have Adrian Gonzalez sitting on first base with his you know negative four speed than yeah. the potential of him hitting a double or the ball over the fence. So it's it, it's kind of like, yeah, dude, go to first base. I don't, I don't three true outcomes, right? Hit the ball over the fence. Yeah, <laughs> walk, strikeouts, and home runs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's right. So uh, getting ready for this season was kind of loco for all of 
baseball uh, in the middle of a pandemic, but for you, uh, you had a couple extra hitches in it, uh, the big storm mm-hmm. that hit Texas, and then at the same time, you had a baby. Yeah. And then you had to report to camp. What was it like going through all that uh, at the same time? Yeah, it was insane, man. It's a it's a 30-minute story that I'll try and condense down to 30 seconds if I can. You know, it, it never snows in Houston, ever. I mean, this was literally like a generational snowstorm. We had no water and no power for the three days leading up to when my wife was supposed to get induced for our son Jackson. And that induction got pushed back because the hospital didn't have any water. Their rooms were full, all this crazy stuff. And all the while, I'm already like three days late to spring training, you know, so I'm calling Ross Atkins and... and and Charlie and Pete Walker and saying like, man, I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm going to be there as soon as I can, but obviously I'm going to stay home for the birth of my son. And the Blue Jays were so amazing the whole time saying, yes, you know, take care of your family, be safe and all that. And all the while, like we, you know, I'm stealing water out of my neighbor's pools to, so I can flush our toilets. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. Houston doesn't know how to handle a snowstorm like you guys up north. You know, it just, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it just locked down the whole city. But you know, long story short, Jackson, we ended up getting in the hospital. Jackson was born healthy. I was able to be home for about three, three and a half days before I flew out to Florida and, and uh, started spring training. So, I mean, it's just a whirlwind, arguably the craziest week of my life. You know, I mean, it was, it was absolutely nuts. But totally worth it, right? Oh, man, it was, what a memory. I mean, I, I, I'll go back and look at the pictures on my phone because it's just like, it started off with like me just taking pictures out the window of the snow in Houston, like, oh, this is so cool to like 24 hours later, pure panic mode to, <laughs> 48 Apocalypse hours later, mode, holding my yeah. son, you know, I mean, it's just crazy. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, uh, one last question before we let you go now. Uh, what's your favorite ballpark to visit on the road? Yeah. So these, uh, I love this question gets asked all the time. You know, it just, it, it's, and, and uh, what's funny is I change my answer all the time. I need to just pick one. I think the, my favorite of the two oldest, right. Which are Wrigley and Fenway. Um, you know, they just feel like old school baseball. They've both yes. been renovated relatively recently from a player's perspective. So now they're like fun to go to as a player when it used to be just so cramped and you feel like you're getting, you know, asbestos or whatever. But now, um, you know, they've redone those stadiums and they're so cool. And, and both cities are fun. And, you know, those stadiums just have such a nostalgic feel to them. And the teams are good. So they're always good games. And, and the Dodgers, Cubs had a good rivalry for a couple years, always playing each other in the post. Right. These are now obviously Blue Jays, Red Sox in the same division. So like every game matters at those stadiums and um, they're just fun to pitch in. And, and, you know, you feel like you're in a time warp almost. I mean, they're just they're 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 stuck in their ways in such a cool way. You know what now, I just realized before we before we wrap up, I just realized you haven't gotten a chance to start for the Jays in our stadium in yeah. Toronto. <laughs> right. <laughs> That it's, yeah, it's that's kind of wild to think about. Next yeah, year, it's a, bu- it's a bummer. Yeah, it's a bummer. You know, we want to get to Toronto so bad, and and you know, obviously, Tanner Roark no longer with the team, but he always had kind of a running joke that he signed a two-year deal with the Blue Jays, and in thirty years they'll be like, oh man, you know, you played two years with the Blue Jays. What was Toronto like? And he's going to be able to say like, I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah. Like, how, crazy, yeah. how crazy is that? You know, and and uh, man, but we want we want to get up there so bad, and obviously the world's just not allowing that right now, but. Who knows, maybe late in the summer or, you know, September, or even like in the postseason. We don't, we don't know what to expect, but we're, you know, any day it feels like they might say like, hey, we're going to Toronto, get ready. And like, all right, here we go. Yeah, that would be great. I know uh, all of us up here, like we're, we're itching for baseball. Like for me, it's like a 16-hour drive to Minneapolis, which is like the closest ballpark to where I live. Wow. So, yeah, it's, 
it's a long way to Toronto, but it, as soon as as soon as I'm able and as soon as you guys are up here, I'm going to a game. I don't care what I have to do to, to get there. I will walk yeah. if I have to. That first one's <laughs> gonna be so cool, man. Oh. It's it's gonna be electric. Yeah, uh, I want. I'm hope. I hope I can be there for that. But yeah. uh, the last thing I want to ask you, you, you mentioned Fenway, Fenway and Wrigley. Now, do you like pitching in those parks? Like, what's your favorite park to to pitch in? Both are challenging to pitch in. You know, yeah. Fenway, you got the wall, Weird and wall. there's a couple really good lefties on that team, Verdugo, Devers, that can just basically play pepper off that wall because they're so good at hitting. And then obviously, guys like JD and Bogarts can just pull it over that wall at any moment. So. You know, it throws a nice little wrinkle into getting ready for a really challenging lineup. And then Wrigley is challenging, too, because the wind might blow out 40 miles an hour on any given day. I mean, it just, you know, that's obviously the Windy City. It's Chicago. So, <laughs> yeah. and a really good lineup there, too. So, it, both are always going to be good challenges when you're pitching in those stadiums, and they're really fun to pitch in. Um, but my favorite stadium to pitch in is San Francisco, by far. Mm. Uh, it's where I debuted, and, I, you know, I had kind of a crazy debut that, that went well. So, obviously, I feel about feel good about that one and then it's just a pitcher's park i mean you know brandon belt would probably hit 40 homers anywhere else besides there you know because it's like 425 to right center <laughs> I mean, it's just absolutely <laughs> gigantic and the ball didn't fly off the water there so uh and you know in the division always played some really fun games there when i was with the dodgers san francisco's a fun city so um you know i've always said san fran is probably my favorite place to pitch cool and you you uh, just for the people out there you went seven and a third in that debut so it was a pretty good debut for you so yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah seven and third no hit gave up a run and yeah. got a no decision pretty crazy in the rain too is raining it was, it was yeah. a crazy game wow that's awesome well we appreciate you joining us uh, before we let you go just want to give you the mic for a few seconds here tell the folks at home uh what you're working on with the podcasts uh, what they can look forward to with on the bump and if you have anything else you want to say, go for it. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, you know, yeah. So the one podcast is called The Big Swing. That one we do weekly with one of my buddies from back Houston. That one we're kind of liable to talk about anything and everything. Um, definitely get into more sports than just baseball, but it does have a, you know a baseball focus. And then the On the Bump podcast that we've talked about on this episode is just me and another big league pitcher talking about basically an all time great Hall of Famer from the past. Um, a uh, recent one coming up that you guys would be interested if you're Blue Jays fans, we're going to do Steve Carlton with Robbie Ray, two guys oh, that nice. are oh, phenomenal wicked. lefties with wipeout sliders that strike out people on the reg. So um, look out for that episode, probably coming in the next couple weeks. Uh, I think there's also going to be a Roy Holiday episode mm. in the works as well. You can't you know, go to the Blue Jays and not uh, do a Roy not Holiday episode. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's on, the, that's on the bump, and the other one's a big swing, both podcasts. Beautiful. Well, best of luck in the start on Thursday. Uh, you've you've earned official uh, friend of the show status now, so <laughs> hopefully that helps uh, helps with a the, a big uh, complete game shutout against Atlanta. Yeah, you're, you're need all the help I can get, man. I'll take it. <laughs> Great. Well, enjoy the rest of your night in Atlanta, um, and yeah, best of luck the rest of the way this season. Hopefully, we can talk to you again sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care. Man, what an awesome chat we just had with uh, Blue Jay pitcher Ross Stripling. That was uh, maybe the highlight of the podcast for me, Patrick. I don't know about you. Yeah, I would agree fully on that one. Uh, Almost three years in, and we just had the highlight of the show. So how do we talk? I know. Well, you know, we've had <laughs> we have had amazing guests on the show throughout our, our tenure. Um, getting a chance to, to uh, you know, talk talk, you know, pitching with Ross. I mean, it's. I'm at a loss for words, which is does rare it, for me. Does it feel weird to like 
call him Ross. It's yes. like he's just like one of the boys, just was a total bro, like just like hey Ross, he was he was, ter- he was he was awesome. Like yeah, he came on. Uh, we had a great little conversation with him before we started recording. Uh, chat a little bit afterwards too. Um, the team was going out for supper across the street, so that's where he was off to right after we got off the call with us. But yeah, no, that was uh, that was super fun. Uh, great guy. Obviously, uh, I said it as soon as he got off. I think he's got a future in broadcasting if he wants it. Like he's got the voice. Um, doesn't answer in cliches, smooth talker, thoughtful answers. Like that was, it was a genuine pleasure to talk to the guy. Yeah. And check out his podcast on the bump as well as uh, the big swing. Yeah. They're on they're, Spotify, iTunes. They're everywhere. Same place. They're, they're everywhere. <laughs> and honestly, there are some all time episodes. Uh, yeah. He's definitely got a future in, in, uh, in broadcasting when his, uh, when his very long career comes to an end in, the uh, the very deep future for sure but and hopefully we can get to toronto next year to watch one of his games because that'd be awesome yes that would be oh man don't tempt me <laughs> don't tempt hey, me Frodo. You, you know you know we're going when uh oh when yeah we, can. we gotta do for a sure. fmd meetup it's, it's been too long we've been, it's been almost I three know. years and we don't i don't know what you look like i don't know if you're like four feet tall uh <laughs> no, i'm six foot two but I'm, okay so I'm yeah a, you're you're a, I'm tall a chunky boy. monkey though i'm six five so, so like we we won't we won't we won't look at a we won't look at a completely unalike anyway no it'll be weird <laughs> um let's get into the news though man. yeah there's a lot to talk about let's let's talk about uh everyone's favorite event that happens is uh the weekly no hitter of the 2021 yeah. <laughs> season this week was thrown by of all people wade miley probably the last guy i would have bet on to throw a no hitter if anyone did bet on him to throw a no hitter i hope they are like rolling in scrooge mcduck levels of dough right now Yes. Um, it was the second time that the Cleveland Indians have been no hit this year. Carlos Rodon also no hit the Indians. So take that Cleveland. Uh, one walk is, was what, was what he allowed, uh, eight strikeouts. He only threw one pitch Patrick Marsh above 90 miles per hour. How about that? That's unbelievable. But it just goes to show that if you breaking balls, yeah, if you're in command of your stuff, you can do pretty much anything and speed doesn't necessarily matter. You can yeah. throw, you can throw like even a mid to high eighties fastball. I mean, Dickie used to do it when he was with the Jays way back when. Oh, hey, you just lob uh, that fastball in there every once in a while when they're sitting on your knuckler. Yeah. But 72 yeah. pitches or 72 strikes, uh, 42 balls. So that's a good ratio. It is. But what Dickie used to do, and which is something that Miley can do because he has such, you know, immaculate or at least that night he had immaculate control over his his stuff was like because he would he would throw the knuckler or or, you know in miley's case you throw the off speed thing the fastball it doesn't matter if it's if it's 85 or or 80 or or 95 they all are going to look like they're zipping in over 100 when you're going from (laughs) trying to hang back on a break and then you're trying to go after a fastball it doesn't matter what speed it is because you're varying the uh, the acceleration of the ball, it's just going to zip by you. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so good for Miley. Good for him. It's it's cool to see that. He ranks in the first percentile in baseball in fastball velocity, so the lowest possible percentile. <laughs> uh, <laughs> his fastball tops out at, uh, it says here, 93, but... I don't think he's going to get there very often. His average is like just below 90. But yeah, he throws the cutter most of the time. So 
definitely yeah. uh, it's a devastating pitch. His, his four seam fastball, he only throws 13% of the time. The cutter is half the time. The changeup is 30% of the time. Then he's got fastball, curveball, and, and a sinker that he rarely throws. So, yeah, he's, he's cutter and a changeup, which is a very uh, unique kind of makeup. And the cutter, he throws inside to righties, and the changeup he throws away. So, yeah, it's a, really? it's a good mix. Yeah, yep. that is a good mix. I'm on Baseball Savant. I love this website. Uh, if you haven't <laughs> yeah. been on Baseball Savant, for anyone listening, do yourself a favor and just like go look up one player. You'll be in love. And if you don't understand it, let me know. I'll help explain it to you. Um, we just <laughs> talked with Ross about the Atlanta Braves. And speaking of the Braves, they signed former Blue Jay tenor Rowork to a minor league deal. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we said it when, when Tanner Roark was released by the team that hopefully he latched on somewhere. So we'll see if he can pitch his way back to the big leagues with the Braves. Uh, Alex Anthopoulos doing what he does and picking up some Blue Jays scraps, and uh, he'll probably turn into a treasure. It seems to happen lots. I don't think he'll be a Gio Urshela level of treasure, but well, who knows? We'll see. I mean, you know, with yeah. guys, sometimes a little adversity uh, goes a long way as far as helping them change their mindset, and maybe that's all Tanner Rourke needs. For best sure. luck to him. Yeah, we wish um, him nothing but the best. Let's let's talk about one of my favorite Jays pitchers right now, Tyler Chatwood. That's right. I was <laughs> wow. trying to tee it up for you. I totally guessed it. No, I'm just. Kidding. It's, on, <laughs> it's on our sheet here. Uh, ben Nicholson Smith at B Nicholson Smith uh, reports on the Blue Jays for Sportsnet. Uh, Tyler Chatwood's stuff does seem to be playing up out of the bullpen he's mostly throwing fastball cutter and it's working we just talked about miley who has a lot of cutters uh, after two more scoreless innings last night which i believe was against houston uh, he has an 079 era on the season patrick with 15 k's versus only three walks and he's getting a career best 16.6 percent swinging strike rate and stat cast according to baseball savant is also benefiting that he's in the 97th percentile for whiff percentage Oof. his expected slugging and expected weight on base percentage and era a batting average those are all like in, in between like 85 and 90 um so he's getting he's doing a really good job of of limiting hard contact for one thing velocity is great and he's not obviously not walking people and he's getting an increased amount of whiffs and chases so being able to to air it out for those one or two innings that he's pitching out of the pen compared to trying to stretch it over six to seven as a starter. It's really allowed him, like we've seen with Ryan Baraki to, to notch it up a bit on the radar gun. And that's, and it's been effective for him. Yeah. It's very, it's very cool how now here we are. Uh, I guess it would be six years removed from the 2015 teams that did have a pretty solid bullpen, uh, especially when we upgraded it by bringing in guys like Latroy Hawkins, but having, having it established from the beginning of the year and having guys who definitely could be starters in some capacity, like Chatwood and Barucki coming out of the bullpen and being incredibly (laughs) and Trent Thornton, even, even him too. I haven't given up that he, he won't be getting more starts or at least opening. I don't think he should. Yeah. But I mean, seeing these guys come out and they're just, they're just annihilating hitters in their in their mop ups. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's not garbage time. These are all these innings that Chatwood is pitching. Uh, and same with Baraki. They're they're you know medium to high leverage situations. Yeah, they're important. They're very important. Yeah. So like, if these guys can you know finish the year having pitched a hundred of these innings and have these type of stats, 
There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to hate playing us, especially if we get to the playoffs, because our bullpen is just so strong. And Chatwood is a huge piece of that. He is a cornerstone of our bullpen. Yeah, one of them right now, for sure, especially with Rafael Dolis uh, on the IL with a uh, grade one calf strain. He was pitched on the, uh, placed on the 10-day IL. I uh, won't be eligible to come off until later next week. Uh, other IL notes, Anthony Castro is still not 100%, so he's going to remain on the IL for now. I believe he's eligible to come off pretty much at any time. The Jays also shifted Alejandro Kirkpatrick with the hip flexor injury to the 60-day, which means that he can't come back until uh, end of June, which is concerning. Uh, but they did open up a roster spot, and, and uh, Ross talked about him, about A.J. Cole, who apparently throws a knuckleball that I'd love to see in a game sometime. Uh, who is now on yes. the active roster. And he pitched two really good innings against the Astros. So it's good to see him back with the big club. He had spent the whole season on a taxi squad. So that was actually his first game action of the season, not being in like a sim game. Uh, Ty Tice was optioned back to AAA. Rowdy Telez also rejoined the Blue Jays prior to this series as well too, with Springer going back on the injured list. Opened up the spot for him. Um, but let's get into some results. Uh, we just lost two out of three to the Astros in Houston at Minute Maid Park, which I I didn't really realize it before. But man, those uh, Crawford boxes in left field—it's like Yankee Stadium reverse. Short—that's a really short porch there. And we saw Danny Jansen and Marcus Simeon take take advantage of it. Um, the second home run that Danny Jansen hit was basically out of the stadium, which was pretty awesome to see. But uh, game number one saw the Astros. Beat up on your boys, uh, ten to four. Yeah. They scored ten runs on fifteen hits. Uh, our boy Ross, uh, he talked about it. Uh, he's coming back off an injury. He was able to go three and two thirds that game. He gave up one home run, three earned runs, walked three, struck out three. Really battled through three and two thirds of, of of that game. Uh, Tim Mesa came in and gave up a couple runs. Ty Tice gave up a couple runs. Trent Thornton was able to close out an inning. Uh, Dolise, that was the game that he got hurt, or that he left. Uh, he had given up uh, a walk and a hit before they pulled him without recording it out. And then Baraki was able to mop that one up. But offensively, it was it was uh, a couple of home runs from Bichette and Hernandez, and obviously the Denny Jansen as well, too. The Jays were able to score four runs in total in that game, largely in part to three home runs. But not too much to talk about there. Hey, Patrick, it was it was just kind of a rough game all around. Uh, the Astros' offense came to play, and uh, yeah, our pitching staff was having a hard time uh, corralling their their elite offense, as Ross was talking about earlier. Yeah, it's tough, especially in a hitter's park like Houston, uh, like uh, Ross had alluded to. There are some boppers on that team, uh, and uh, it was it was a tough outing for them. Um, the game was still relatively tight. It was only 5-2 to two, uh, heading into the 7th, and that's when the Astros kind of busted it open uh, and, ma and made it, you know, pretty difficult to com come back. But um, yeah, I think what interests me about this is that all, all, all of our arms uh, that were typically part, you know, they were part of the goose egg gang, as I call them, or... They were coming out. A couple guys, uh, like Meza had a rough one. Ty Tice had a, a very rough 1.1. Uh, and obviously, Dolis didn't get an out. Um, obviously, injured now. Um, it, these guys will bounce back. You, you can't win them all. I mean, we saw it with 
we saw it with Max Scherzer. We beat we beat up on Max Scherzer. Yeah, who's probably the best pitcher in the world. Well, he right struck now. out like fourteen against the Yankees the other day too. Yeah, decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, like it's just one of those one of those games where like, yeah, it happens. Um, yeah, the, the boys didn't have it, but that's okay because. You know. It's baseball. There's always another game tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Um, and still speaking of that, thirty-something games. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that next game, the Jays were able to take Game Two on Saturday, eight to four. Um, Jansen again hit a home run. This one was a bomb. It was like four hundred and forty feet. It was the longest of his career. Biggio went yard, which was uh, great to see a, a Biggio homer in Minute Maid Park. First time You'll since his dad's last it. home run there that that a Biggio had went yard. Uh, Marcus Samin hit a home run as well. Uh, Kevin also had two walks. He's really started getting on base a lot more lately. The, the bats coming around. He's had a really good road trip in that game. Steven Matz picked up the win. Uh, he went five innings. They were pretty solid innings. In, in my opinion, he gave up eight hits, uh, but didn't walk a batter struck out four, gave up one home run and three earned runs in total. It was a really good bounce back after the, uh, the last step that he had had. Um, and I, I honestly thought it was a really good outing. Uh, he showed some signs of fatigue in that in that fifth inning that led him to be pulled. But then, yeah, our, our guy Tyler Chatwood that we just talked about threw two absolutely beautiful innings, struck out one. Romano came in, did give, did give up a run, but also uh, kept the boys in with a hold. And then Travis Bergen, after the Jays scored three runs in the top of the ninth, he came in and, and finished the game. Didn't get a save because they were up by four. But it was nice to see some late offense from from Semien because you just knew that the Astros were. We're going to be there if they're only down one run going to the ninth. But that was a really good bounce back effort by the team. And it was nice to see the pitching staff really just lock it down after that, after that third inning. Yep. And we talked about it before the series even started. Got to get to Christian Javier. Mm-hmm. Got to do and it. they did. They jumped they on did him. It. They beat up on him in the second and the third inning. Uh, and that gave us a lead that we held on to for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt's had a bit. Uh, the fourth was was rough, and the fifth what was a little bit better. But I think I wouldn't say that this five inning performance was indicative of what we're what we should expect from Stephen Matz. I think some of the earlier starts we saw in the season are more of what he is. Yeah, somewhere um, between what we're seeing now and what we saw the first month, I think is kind of what he should be. This day off, the day off today is huge. For the for the bullpen and the rotation yeah. right now, um, it's a long road trip. Oh, even the guys on offense, good to get a yeah. day off. Just getting that day off after it was rough because there was four in Oakland, then three in Houston, no breaks. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like it's tough. It's tough for these guys, um, but they, you know, they pulled it out thanks to uh, you know a pretty uh, steady performance by Matts. I- I'm interested to see how he matches up uh, in the. I guess it would be the next next series. It'll be on so the, when we're back home. on the weekend. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see uh, what that matchup looks like. We'll talk about that later in the week in our next episode. Shout out though to Bergen for shutting it down because it's always scary. Houston in the bottom of the ninth. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm totally with you there. Now we'll have we'll have the Phillies on the weekend. That's what we'll be teeing up uh, when we next talk to you guys. Um, Game three, which was yesterday, Sunday the 9th of May, the Astros won the rubber match uh, 7-4. They got some help. Uh, Nate Pearson was called up 
been activated prior to the game. And it was not an outing that he'll want to remember. He, he, he needs to remember it so he can figure out what he did wrong. But he was only able to go two and a third. He did not strike out a batter, and he walked five, Patrick. That's the biggest thing that hurt him. He somehow managed to only give up three runs. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, he got out of a couple jams in, in the first and second inning, and then the third inning just went off the rails in a hurry. Um Joel Payams was able to close out some time, but he did give up a couple of runs, or a, a run. And then Anthony Kay gave us two and a third. A really tough ask uh, for Anthony Kay being a lefty against a really good right-handed lineup. But he gave up three earned runs in his, in his uh, innings, of innings in a bit, two and a bit. And then A.J. Cole, who was also activated prior to the game, threw two scoreless with a strikeout. He was the best pitcher on the day for the Jays. Offensively, we outhit the Astros eleven to nine, but all of our runs came in one inning. We scored four in the fifth, and that was it. Had a couple guys on, or had a leadoff double from Teoscar, I believe, in the like the fourth inning. Couldn't bring him in. Um, he was two for four. Right to Les hit a homer, two for four. Bichette was two for four, and Guriel and and Biggio combined for an awesome relay to cut a run down at the plate, which again saved Nate Pearson a run on a double. Yep. Um, yep. It was a perfectly executed relay. Uh, it was a ball to the left center field gap. Guriel waved off Grichuk, played the ball off the hop, and Joe Siddle did a great job. He's been doing awesome analysis, by the way, for Sportsnet. Uh, I, I love know, watching that's his, the guy his I'd breakdowns. Love to get on the program. Yeah, like he talking? he talked about how Guriel got his back foot into throwing position, point towards like where it needed to be. Immediately uncorked one, perfect seed to Biggio, who threw a perfect one bouncer. Uh, to McGuire, who was who was catching that game behind the plate, who tagged out the runner, it was it was beautiful. Um, but yeah, obviously we dropped two to three, so not the best outcome in the series. But we did see some. We saw the offense wake up. Besides game two, I mean, we were able to score four runs uh, in the first in two of the two to the three games and eight runs in the other. So it wasn't a bad series overall. Just the pitching. Um, in that last game really made it impossible for the guys to do anything after the first four innings being down seven. Yep. Uh, to be fair though, Granky is a tough ass for anybody. He still yeah. has it. Oh, he's, he's got, he's deceptive he now is the thing. That's the biggest problem. He's not going to blow you away with a hundred like he used to. Now he's blowing you away with 80, 80 miles an hour, 80 or 90 mile an hour fastball and 87 change up. <laughs> he's, he's yeah. He's very tricksy with, with what yeah. he's got uh, with his arsenal. Uh, not a great day for the boys who are all trying to compete uh, for a rotation spot, which is kind of wide open. Um, I don't want to say too much about Nate Pearson because somebody made this interesting point uh, online. I saw this on Twitter, and it made me rethink what I was going to say. Um, you know, we cut a lot of pitchers, you know, uh, slack when they have a rough outing. And not everybody gets it right off the bat. And Pearson is still like a top prospect. Uh, he doesn't magically become a bust because of one performance. So we should probably grant him as wide a berth as what we give to other guys when they have their struggles or when they get out there and they play a team uh, like Houston. Um, it was just kind of it was weird because Nate's stuff just wasn't. He it didn't have blowing. any command. He had zero. Yeah, command. his command was so wild that he wasn't able to to tee up strikeouts. Uh, and I think most of his outs, if I'm not mistaken, were like high pop-ups. 
Yeah, which I mean so you're like, gonna get when you're throwing high heat. So that that's not a bad. That's a good sign. No, no, he's fly ball. He's not a ground ball guy, yeah. kind of guy. Um, so like some of the time he was doing what he needed to do, but his command was like you said, it was so wild. Like you can't give up five walks and not walk at it. Like the fact that he only gave up three earned runs is a miracle with right. five walks and four hits. It, yeah, like I mean. This game should have been over after, like, the third inning. But it wasn't uh, until the next inning. But, I mean, (laughs) there's not much – I mean, there's not much you can do at that point. The damage was done. The boys tried for a comeback, and it didn't quite work out our way. But, like, these are opportunities uh, for – for guys to show their stuff and earn earn their keep on the the show, like, on the big roster. So – yeah. You know, you hate to see it when your young guys just can't. can't It'll be do interesting it. to see if they give them another shot against the Phillies on the weekend. I've said it a billion times. I don't understand what the rush is. I don't understand why he the rush right now is, is just injuries. He would not be with the club yet if but Jake, we weren't Jacob so. Jacob Waggispack has better performances than uh, the one that we we saw from uh, I, Nate and Houston. I don't know. Like you got to give at some point you got to give these guys a shot though. You got to get like some of these AAA uh, arms. You got to give TJ Zoic a shot. You got to give these guys. If Those guys have Nate had Pierce, their shots though, and they they haven't taken them either. That's the I mean, thing. if you have less, if you have less than thirty innings pitched in in the league, I I don't know if that counts as a the shot. The difference point, though, Patrick, between Zoic, Wegus Pack, and Pearson is 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 large. Those neither of those other two guys are throwing high 90s to 100 mile an hour fastballs with Fair. a really good breaking pitch they don't Fair. have swing and miss stuff nate pearson when he's on has like the potential to have insane swing and miss uh but in, in his arm but he didn't some, have it today or, some triple a starts would at least help him build up his confidence oh yeah he and, and have his command it's not gonna he, matter if he, he would be there if he if not for our current situation which is a highly injured uh, yes. Team and obviously having Roark gone because he wasn't performing. Um, yeah, it's it's just the way it is. But speaking of some farm report, let's talk quickly about this. I don't want to get into too much analysis. We're going long on this episode. We still want to talk about about the Braves a little bit. Um, just a couple of guys that I want to highlight from the first week of the minor league season. The Buffalo Bison started are off to a four and two start, largely in part thanks to Alec Manoa, who was insanely good in his debut in AAA. This guy had never pitched above a low A ball, Patrick. He skipped over, uh, he skipped three levels. Yeah. So he went six <laughs> yeah. innings, gave up two hits. He hit three batters, but then he went and just like picked one of them off. And then he struck out 12 more for good measure. No bases on balls, just three hit by pitch. No earned runs, two hits allowed, five base runners in total. An absolutely like dominant, dominant outing. Only, uh, I guess what would that be? Six of the outs he recorded were one on a pickoff, and then five were on balls in play. So, yeah, good luck to, to the team he was facing there. Uh, Logan Warmoth off to a good start for Buffalo. He's actually moved out of the infield. He's playing outfield now. He's playing left field. You know, he was drafted as a shortstop in the first round about five years ago now, I think. He's off to a 278, 316, 667 slash through 18 at bats, five hits, two of them home runs, a double. Only walked once and has struck out nine times. But the, at least the power is back for him. That was a big thing that was the reason that he was a first-round pick. 
And then a guy we've seen in the big leagues, uh, notable Josh Palacios, off to a, he's hitting 300 so far. And lefty Nick Algeyer, who does not get talked about a lot, but he threw six innings, gave up only two hits, one earned run, two walks, and six strikeouts in his AAA uh, season debut. He could be another guy who gets a look uh, throughout the season potentially as a as a spot starter too. I've I've talked about him a few times on the show. I remember, I remember when he was with the Needham a couple of years ago. Uh, he's a guy that I that I had pegged as a guy who could kind of be like a like a dark horse back end rotation piece for this team in a couple of years. So I could see that happening. I got a spicy question for you. Yeah. Let's say let's say Alec Manoa has three more starts, virtually identical. If he has two more starts, he's coming up. Yeah, like I don't think you can contain him uh, or like keep him down. You won't be able to uh, make the argument, no. No, and it's not like when your it's team is in. Tentative. Like like Ross said, this is like year two out of seven for a competitive window. Um, if you've got a guy like Manoa who's striking out twelve batters every six innings in AAA, and not giving up any hits or runs, he's got to be on your big league staff because, yeah, he could be. He could be our number two starter right now with those kind of numbers, right? If he can um, pull it off, yeah. 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 He Not could. saying that he would so, in the big leagues, but yeah, he's got he's definitely got the the mentality and he's a big, big man. He is he's scary too. He had three hit <laughs> he hit yeah, three batters. And then he picked one of them off. He just he just wanted to put somebody on base so he could practice that pickoff move. Yeah. Pick a machine. No, he's <laughs> great. Um the Let's talk about the Fisher Cats. Yeah, the Double A New Hampshire Fisher Cats, who were ranked by Baseball America as the second best minor league team going into the yeah. season. They're off to a one and five start, largely due to the fact that they haven't been able to score a ton of runs and their bullpen has been super suspect. Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, who is actually ranked ahead of Alec Manoa on our prospect rankings, uh, a top one hundred prospect. Alec Manoa is going to be on their mid season if on the on the top one hundred prospect rankings with with if he keeps doing this. Um, oh, yeah. but Simeon Woods Richardson was able to go four innings. He gave, gave up four hits, three runs, but only one of them was earned. There was a couple of errors in the, uh, in the third inning that led to some, some, uh, increased pitch count and the umpire was squeezing him. Uh, I was tweeting a little bit with Eric Cross, who is one of the, uh, fantasy baseball writers for, for fan tracks, which is a, a, a like a fantasy sports website. He lives close to, uh, to Manchester, New Hampshire. So he kind of goes to a lot of those East coast games. This game was actually in the opposing ballpark, but he was posting like how he was like talking to Simeon Woods Richardson's dad when he was throwing his pregame bullpen. Um, then he was behind the, he was like watching the game from behind the plate, and he was saying the umpire was squeezing him a little bit on the low strikes. Uh, Let's two walks, or sorry, one walk for Simeon, but he had eight strikeouts in that in four innings as well too. So definitely has the swing and miss there. Uh, Gabe Mourinho, Gabriel Mourinho is off to an insane start. He is our next catching prospect coming up behind Alejandro Kirk. Uh, he is hitting 412 through his first 17 at bats, Patrick, including three doubles, three RBIs. He's walked three times and struck out only four times. This is a guy who has walked more than he's struck out in his in his early career, similar to Kirk, similar to how Vladdy was. Definitely somebody to watch for. Uh, other two two other notable prospects, obviously Austin Martin and infielder Jordan Groshans are playing down there. They're giving Martin some time in the infield as well as in the outfield. He's off to a 235 start, and Groshans is only hitting 182, so those guys have yet to get it going, but they both have the bats that they will come alive. And uh, another friend of the show who we talked to, gee, was that like basically a year and a half ago now, uh, James Dykstra got into a, his first game in the Blue Jays system. 
He threw two innings and struck out three batters uh, in his relief efforts. So it's good to see a, a guy that we had on the podcast at one point uh, doing well. You know, for and he can hit high 90s. With sure can. Stuff. He might not be in New Hampshire for very long. He could yeah. be a guy who forces his way into that 40-man conversation, yeah, if he keeps pitching like this. He, he might. Let's keep track. Let's yeah, we sure will. We'll keep I, an eye on the friends of the show. Always will. His uh, his stuff plays, and I mean, it's double A. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of great young, very young players. A lot of fastballs in double A. A lot of fastballs in double A. Triple A is where your stuff, you try out the secondary and tertiary stuff. I don't think, uh, I don't think James Dykstra is going to be in double A for very long. I think he moves up to triple A pretty yeah. quick. Especially if we get more injuries, because we're going to need to move guys up the chain. And if a guy like Dykstra, who throws high 90s, uh, is hanging out in AAA, he's going to get a look. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Moving across to the West Coast now, the High A Vancouver Canadians, who are playing in Hillsborough, Oregon, which is just outside of Portland. Uh, Adam Kloffenstein has has started for two games. He's only worked three and two-thirds and three innings in those starts, but he's got a total of six and two-thirds innings pitched, four hits, hasn't allowed a run yet, did walk six, but has struck out eight, um, hasn't been hit hardly at all yet, and obviously the no-earned runs is nice to see uh, for King Clough. Uh, another catcher, Patrick, uh, Ryan Gold, he's off to a good start. He's hitting 353 through six uh, through uh, 17 at-bats, six hits so far. He's got a, two doubles, a triple, five walks, and six strikeouts. And uh, outfielder Tanner Kerwer is hitting 286 with a home run and three stolen bases so far. The Canadians are sitting at three and three uh, through the first week of the season. Great to see King Clough uh, getting some more games in high A. Yeah, he'll be in double A before the end of the year. I would I would like to think so too. Uh, moving over back to the southeast to Dunedin, where the Blue Jays will be this weekend. Uh, the low A Dunedin Blue Jays are off to a rough start. They give up something like seventy-seven runs in their first five games. It was, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a thing. They're one and five though. They won their sixth game of the year. Uh, Rafael Ohashi, who is a Brazilian prospect, much like Eric Pardinho, who was signed as an international free agent. The signing didn't become official until just before this season. Obviously, there was no minors last year. Uh, but he made his professional debut with the Blue Jays, and he threw three innings of no-hit ball and struck out four batters in his first-ever Blue Jays appearance. Uh, Zach Britton, who is now catching, just kidding, it's a different Zach Britton. Uh, we, make this, we make this joke every time. He's hitting 412 through 17 at-bats. He has walked seven times to only four strikeouts and has a home run and three doubles. Uh, a left fielder, Eric Rivera, who I've never heard of before, but I'm going to keep watching now, is hitting 545, says six for his first 11, has walked four times, struck out once, and has already stolen four bases, Patrick Marsh. So that's a guy I'm going to keep my eyes on going forward. I have no idea who he is. But that kind of wraps up the farm report there. Um, let's talk about Atlanta real quick here before we wrap it up because we're going to be like an hour and like a thousand minutes before we finish this <laughs> podcast. We've got three games against the Atlanta Braves coming up starting tomorrow, which is Tuesday, May 11th. The first two games are 7.20 Eastern time first pitches, and the, the getaway day is at 12.20, and the Blue Jays will make their short trek back to Dunedin uh, before they face the Phillies. Game one is going to see Robbie Ray. Uh, I don't believe there is an announced starter for the Braves yet. I'm going to check one more time while Patrick tells us what he's expecting from Robbie Ray tomorrow. 
Well, uh, double R, Robbie Ray hits the mound. Uh, he's become very dependable for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he's been since... insanely good. Yep, he, he's not giving up walks. Zero. And that's why we win when he pitches, is because yep. he's just not conceding any walks. His stuff is playing. He's keyed into something. Three straight quality starts. I fully expect a fourth tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, uh, while uh, you're looking that up, there's Jimmy, no starter. <laughs> no starter. TBD. Probably TBD. bullpen day for them. Perhaps. Uh, or maybe they'll. I don't know. Who's who's out there in the free agency market they could pull out? Well, they just signed a guy to a minor league deal. They used to pitch for us. That's right. <laughs> could be that. Could be. Could uh, you imagine? Sh- what's Shelby Miller up to these days? Uh, I don't know. Who, who knows? Who knows? Uh, Honjin Ryu is going to be starting against Max. Freed. I don't know how to pronounce that. Freed. It's just Freed. Freed. Yeah. Freed. Um, <laughs> On Wednesday. Yeah. He uh, he had a good comeback start. Uh, yeah, he, he was hurt. He got up, though, before that. Yeah. Um, I like her chances in this match. This is a really favorable matchup uh, for us. Um, I'm a little worried about Ryu. I know you brushed it off last time. I was like, should we talk about this? And you're like, no. Um, this is kind of a, sh- to me, it's a show me start. I want to see Ryu bounce back in a big way. He'll have the extra day off because of the, the day off. Yep. Um, I like this matchup a lot. Um, although, uh, Freed had a great, uh, comeback start. I, I he's a really I, good I pitcher. Like, yeah. I, I like our chances at, at, uh, yeah, you, you, you can't let the eight, the eight twenty ERA, uh, 844 ERA fool you. He's uh, he's a very good pitcher. Um, yep. He had a 225 ERA last year in 56 innings, 11 starts. So definitely and guess has. Who, uh, Atlanta's gonna trot out for us again. We roughed him up last time. Yeah. Rough him up again. Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton, welcome back, old rival. Against friend of the show Ross Stripling on yes. Thursday's getaway game. Uh, Ross is gonna try to keep building off what he's done in his last two starts, coming back off the IL. Um, and Morton's going to try and figure out anything. He's been, yeah. uh, he's allowed at least four runs in four of his past five starts. One of those was against us. Um, he's sitting at two and two with a 498 ERA. Uh, Ross is at 0 and two with a 661, but that's only in four starts for Ross and limited innings. So we'll see what, uh, what shakes down there. I think two to three is very doable here, Patrick. Yep, I agree. I think we get back to two games over 500. Um, I'm not even going to say a sweep is, is out of the question just because of the way the pitching matchups are, are lining up. Yeah, they have and, to, and they the have, bullpen's going to be fresh. The, with a fresh bullpen, Robbie Ray coming in, he's going to be ready to mow him down. Uh, the Braves Ryu, are off today, too. It's worth noting that as well. Ray, Ryu with an extra day off. Don't like, uh, don't like the Braves' chances against him with an extra day off. Then, of course, our guy, Ross. Uh, this is interesting because Morton has been so shaky. Mm-hmm. So it's all, you can almost go into this matchup with like a little bit of confidence. Right. Be, because Morton can't find his curveball, which is one of his key pitches. And if he, can't, if he can't throw his curve or if he just keeps walking, guys, it's going to set up a really dangerous situation. you got to walk. 
You don't want to walk guys like Bichette who can steal bases, or you don't want to load them up for someone like Teoscar Hernandez, <laughs> who's going to hit the ball 400 feet before you can blink your eye. Yeah. Uh, quick tail to tape here. Uh, Jays have scored 160 runs this year. Alana's at 159. The big difference is in runs against. They've given up 171, and the Jays have only allowed 135. They are negative yeah. 12. We are plus 25, which is actually second in the American League East, behind only the Boston Red Sox. Um, so looking at those numbers specifically, the, the Jays definitely have the pitching advantage in terms of relief pitching especially. Uh, it was interesting to see what kind of guys uh, we utilize and what roles without the least. Romano's going to be closing, so you'll have Barucki and Chatwood in the, the heavy innings. Phelps is on the IL for 60 days. You, yeah. don't, have, uh, Rem- you don't have Merriweather. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see what the Jays are going to do with, with that pen. But I think we could take two to three, and, and really I think we should just wrap this episode up. <laughs> I agree. I think we're going to get three quality starts. Our bullpen will be fresh uh, heading into the, the homestand that we start on Friday. For sure. Calling it yeah. now. Break out the brooms. Oh, boy. A uh, long episode for, for us today, but we – had an insanely good time talking with Ross Stripling. Uh, we're going we're gonna to publish this episode as soon as we possibly can. You'll be able to find it on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. Listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, find us, bfmdpodcast.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you've made it this far, you're a real trooper. You're, you're our number one fan. If there's 51 of you listening, you're all our number one fans. We love you very much. Uh, leave us reviews on on uh, Apple, especially that helps us get seen on iTunes. But for Patrick Marsh out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's Justin Anderson here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. We'll see you in a few days after a sweep of the Atlanta Braves. <laughs>